The Voice America Business Channel is brought to you by Intercall, the worldwide conferencing leader. Check out easy and reliable conferencing solutions at www.intercall.com forward slash radio. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ellen Schlomer. Uh, She is the Executive Vice President at the Center for Responsible Lending. Welcome to the show, Ellen. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, how you got to uh, what the Center for Responsible Lending is all about. Okay, I um, have been at, at CRL, what we call Center for Responsible Lending, for about eight years, um, and I actually worked for an affiliate organization, Self-Help Credit Union, before that. Um, before that, I worked actually um, in General Electric in their mortgage business for about 12 years and actually kind of grew up in, within GE in their finance sector. So um, I, I come from a corporate finance background, but now do community development and, and advocacy work. Very good. Well, there's lots of different areas that the Center for Responsible Lending uh, is responsible for and talks about, and probably the biggest one, most controversial right now, is the whole uh, mortgage area. Um, there's been a huge amount of uh, foreclosures, a lot of controversy about whether these foreclosures are legitimate or not. What is the Center's uh, opinion of, of this, and, and which direction do you think things are going with making the foreclosure situation better instead of worse? Well, um, clearly the foreclosure crisis has been a disaster across many dimensions, and we actually, in 2006, published a report saying that one in five subprime loans was going to go bad at the point. At that time, the subprime market was in full swing, and we were called wildly pessimistic and basically crazy. Um, that was, of course, three months before Citibank and other mortgage lenders started talking about the problems they were having and then the, mar- the financial meltdown. Um, we wish we were wildly pessimistic. In fact, probably more like four out of, sub, out of five um, subprime loans are going to go bad. That, that's um, Fitch, what Fitch ratings estimate. So um, it's, it's a disaster both for those homeowners and for those people who own homes around those properties and because they lose home value. And then, of course, for all the people that lost jobs as a result of the economic meltdown that was caused by the crisis. Um, our view is that um, people deserve every effort to um, stay in their homes, and um, the government is rightly focusing on that. Mortgage servicers are, are trying to focus on it sometimes, but with, with very um, poor results. And as a result, more people are losing homes than need to, and, and that is doing nothing to help, help us get out of this economic problem. Well, how big is this so-called robo-signing uh, situation? I mean, the idea was that a lot of banks were going ahead doing foreclosures because they didn't really have the legal right. Uh, they didn't own the note because it had been passed on to investors, but they were going ahead and foreclosing anyway and not really inspecting the property. Right, the, the, right. The, the paperwork really... being correct. T- tell me a little bit more about what's going on in that area. Sure. Well, there's, there's actually no, no good estimate of how many people have been improperly foreclosed because of these um, 
the robo-signing foreclosures. Um, It's actually part of a much bigger problem that has been highlighted by the state's um, attorneys general who did a probe of mortgage servicing practices and found that robo-signing was a problem but only basically the tip of the iceberg. So there was bad accounting practices, charging a lot of fees to consumers as soon as they got delinquent and making it, and actually oftentimes unwarranted fees. Um, arbitrary foreclosure decisions, and then the robo-signing, which basically was the lack of um, sort of a, a document that, that was legitimate in, in the court of law that would let people foreclose. Um, the AGs are, wanted to charge um, servicers $20 billion as a result of that to help make up for some of the pain that consumers have financed. We think that's probably, it's, it's, it's a good move. It's, it's probably never going to be enough, but at least it will start. Um, and they also want the services to really get their act together because there are, there are systemic problems that are, are much broader than just, you know, false affidavits. What, what the big problem was, the, you know, when all these subprime loans and mortgage loans were being made, the whole origination process was quite automated. And I, I say it was like shooting a fire hose through from the borrower to the second to, to the person who was buying the mortgage, it, w- it went really fast, and there was a huge volume of mortgage being mortgages being made. But when it comes to fixing problem mortgages, it's more like an eyedropper effect that we're doing. So we're trying to fix one loan at a time, and we're not even doing very well. And mortgage servicers are just behind the times in terms of technology and just not doing a good job. So what would you recommend for a homeowner who's having trouble? Uh, keeping up with his mortgage. Maybe he had a mortgage that was a decent rate, and now it's jumping up to a higher rate. It was interest only, and now he has to pay principal, or it was an adjustable rate, and it's gone up. But, you know, in, in general, things were going okay, uh, but now uh, the mortgage has become unaffordable. Maybe their income went down. What kind of steps can people make to save their homes from foreclosure in the, in the light of this current situation? Sure. Well, it's an imperfect solution, but right now the only solution – well, there's two solutions – the, the first and most visible solution is the government's program, the um, Home Affordable Modification Program, known as HAMP, um, which basically is um, incentives that the federal government, the Treasury Department, will give to mortgage servicers to modify a borrower's loan. Um, it, you have to prove some financial hardship. It has to be on your primary home, and there's a couple of other restrictions. Um, and that program was designed, hopefully, to help three to four million people, it's, it's helped significantly fewer because of the problems mortgage services are having, and they get to make the ultimate call on whether you get a modification or not. Um, but that is sort of the first, first avenue of, of approach. Um, unfortunately, you know, mortgage services are, lose documentation a lot of times. It, it takes months to process. I think I saw one survey that said it took the average person in the process 14 months to get a decision from the servicer. Um, and as and I understand, the HAMP program is going to expire in June. It's not re- reauthorized. Is that correct? Well, um, there's, there's debate about, I mean, that's, that's the current move, but um, it's, it's really not sure sort of what the ultimate outcome will be. So that was really, I mean, it is, our view is you need to mend HAMP, not end it, because uh-huh. it is really the only thing for consumers. The other thing that has been effective in helping consumers avoid foreclosure, unfortunately, is getting a lawyer. But, you know, who can afford a lawyer when you're behind on your mortgage and you're probably behind on your credit cards and you may have lost your job? That's, that's, the big, uh, that's another big problem. And, unfortunately, um, none of the money that the government has set aside for foreclosure um, avoidance it can go to, to legal services. So if you go to a legal services group, um, you know, oftentimes they won't be able to help you. But 
If there's any way you can get a lawyer to help you, I would say that'd be the first way to go. So does the lawyer sue the uh, servicer, or what? What? How, how can a lawyer help you avoid be, being foreclosed upon? Well, first they'll look at your paperwork and and understand if there were any problems in the loan that would make it more likely that a lender might want to modify it. And then second, they could they could, if necessary, um, sue the bank. And that, you know, in many cases the um, courts, the judges are just saying are are throwing foreclosures out because. They're saying the banks or the, the what they call the mortgage servicer can't can't show any documentation to say they even own the mortgage and have the right to foreclose. Uh huh. So that's so, so. What is CRL's point of view on how this whole situation, which is kind of a mess right now, can be improved? Ooh, um, well, again, the, the first thing really is uh, well, foreclosures that are unavoidable or where where people have left the homes. I mean, that's just that's just going to happen. It has to happen quickly rather than yeah. slowly. So. We're not trying to say everybody who's in trouble should get help, but um, we think that servicers really have to, um, if, they, if they put the effort into f- fixing potential or modifying loans and avoiding foreclosures that they put into making the mortgages way back when, um, a lot of these problems would be solved. And we think that that's a big part of it. We think that the attorneys general um, proposed settlement with them will help move things in that direction because it puts a penalty on servicers for not dealing with things and it makes them accountable for results. And we think that really has to happen. Yeah. Um, so in addition to the HAMP program, there's also the HARP program, right, which is the refinance program. Has that worked better than the HAMP program? Um, they've all been fairly modest in terms of their success, and in, primarily because the person who makes the final decision is the mortgage lender in all of that, mortgage servicer and mortgage lender. So um, if it was up to the consumers, I think it would work better, but, but they haven't, none of them have been as successful as we've hoped. Do you think it should have been made mandatory uh, instead of voluntary on the part of the servicer that they would have to modify a mortgage? That's a tough one. I think that um, I think there probably could have been, I don't know, I, I, I would say yes. I would say yes. It doesn't have to. I wouldn't say for everything. I think there'd have to be some more thought about what standards there were. But if this were mandatory, or if there were more alternatives, if, for example, um, a borrower, if they didn't get a loan modification, was able to file for bankruptcy and have that bankruptcy court lower the amount of their mortgage so they could keep paying it, um, that would that would have been another solution as well. There are various pieces of legislation going through Congress on this which I guess you have a point of view, one of the which is if you're in the middle of a mortgage modification process, they can't foreclose on you. Because right now, uh, they're, uh, they foreclose on you even though you're trying to get it better. Is that something you would support? Oh, absolutely. They call that dual track, which is why, you know, why should, you, why should a servicer pursue foreclosure when they're, when they're trying to also work with a borrower to modify a loan? Again, if it takes 14 months on average to get a loan modification and the servicer loses your documents on average six times in that process. Mm. It's, it, this is not a, a question of the consumer dragging their feet to, um, to avoid foreclosure. They're doing everything they can to, to comply with um, what the servicer wants. It's a problem on the servicer's end. So I absolutely think dual track is, a, is an, um, avoiding sort of that dual track of foreclosure and modification is... is Does that legislation have a chance of getting through? Um, you know, I'm not our lobbyist, so I don't know. Um, uh. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ellen Schlomer. Uh, she is the Executive Vice President at the Center for Responsible Lending, uh, talking about all kinds of ways that uh, consumers are 
uh, being abused and <laughs> ways people can do better with their loans. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca provides those of you eager to invest well in real estate with the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus is to help you maximize your real estate investment dollars. Listen live to the brightest minds in investment real estate every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ellen Schlomer. Uh, she is the Executive Vice President of the Center for Responsible Lending uh, based in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the show, Ellen. Thank you. Another area uh, in the mortgage uh, world is a uh, proposed down payment uh, rule that is being put in, uh, which you think is, is not a good idea and could potentially harm creditworthy borrowers. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that uh, issue? Sure, and, and before I delve into the, the rule, I would like to say we are affiliated with a community development credit union called Self-Help Credit Union, who has been making mortgages for 30 years to low-wealth borrowers, and over that entire period, we've lost about 1% of the capital that we loaned out, um, and most of those loans had very low down payments. So we understand that people need to make a cash investment in their home, but um, setting very arbitrary and high down payment requirements is... Uh, is not the way to um, to help people become homeowners, and it doesn't necessarily make the risk much lower. But the, sort of the frame for all of this is the federal regulators are charged with proposing rules that will um, basically specify what a safe mortgage is, um, so that if someone makes a, a lender makes a mortgage and wants to sell it in the secondary market, if it's classified as a, as a safe loan, they don't have to put up as much capital to to put that into the market. Um, so um, this is a very important issue because whatever standard they set will be seen in the market as sort of the good mortgage and they'll be more easily, they'll be easier to get and things like that. One of the, um, and many of the standards that they've proposed are good. There are things around underwriting to make sure the borrower can get this, repay the loan, um, that the, the, mortgage is, the mortgage product is a safe product um, and things like that. But one of the requirements is fairly arbitrary and it, um, the proposals call right now are for 
somewhere between between 10 and, and 20% down payment. Um, and that's not, in our view, um, something that really needs to be mandated in, in these standards because it will, if it's set too high, it locks a, a lot of people out of um, the housing market. And that's the last thing we need right now is um, to, to make the housing market smaller and weaker. This is a so-called qualified residential mortgage proposal, right? That's right. That's so right. part of it is... Uh, uh, the down payment, I, as I remember, it's even higher than 20% in some cases, depending on your credit score. Um, and also, it had to be, as I remember, a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, no adjustables or anything like that. Um, and <coughs> were there certain credit score criteria you had to meet as well? Um, I'm sorry? I think there are certain credit score criteria you had to meet as well. Uh, well, the, yeah, there, there is some, and, and the, those are all up for debate, and um, I think that some of those things may end up going away. Um, but the big one that is... Um, so what, what level of down payment do you think, or, or does the center think would be appropriate uh, to require? Well, we're definitely not talking about, you know, 0% down loan. Down. Yeah. Those, those are just crazy. Those, those don't help anybody because they don't, people are, they're not sustainable and people don't stay in their homes. Um, but, you know, over the last 20 years, there's been a real move towards lowering down payments, and, and people have made um, 5% down or 3% down, put 3% down on a, on a home, and very, been very successful as homeowners. Um, you know, I, my dad put 5% down on the house he bought when he got out, of, you know, when he bought the house I grew up in after World War II, and I bought my first house with 5 or 10% down. And so it's the way most people get into homes. As a matter of fact, the realtor said that um, over 50% of the people who bought homes in 2010 put 10% down or less. Um, and so what would what would this do to the housing market if you required twenty percent down payment? If you if you put twenty percent, it would probably lock out about two million homeowners a year from the from the housing market, which is a big big um, amount, and um, basically make it harder for people to sell their homes because who, there's not as many people out there to buy it. And we're already facing a you know a flood of of foreclosed properties and bank-owned properties coming on the market. So if you're selling your home, you're already competing with a bunch of those properties, and now there's even fewer fewer buyers out there. The other um, problem we see in the, in the QRM rules is that they want to set standards for um, down payment requirements for people that want to refinance a loan, a home mortgage. So you'd have to have 25% equity if you want to refinance your mortgage. And that's that's a real problem now that house values have fallen so much and, the, and on average have dropped 40%. So even if you had 25% equity when you bought your home, you probably don't have that now. Um, so you wouldn't be able to, for example, refinance your loan just to get a lower interest rate under these rules. And that, is, in our mind, doesn't make economic sense for borrowers as well. I mean, it seems what, what's happening here is they're trying to prevent what's, what caused the, the crisis of 2007-2008 from ever happening again. But in return for that, they're dramatically reducing uh, the mortgage and the housing market, making it really, really hard for people, even good, you know, decent, decent credit scores and decent cash flows, decent jobs. Right. And, know, and the, Average the, Americans from being able to either buy homes or refinance their mortgages. Um, you're right. And what they're trying to avoid by putting these rules in place is exactly right, that, that debacle. But most of those problems were caused by subprime loans that um, – you know, low down payment loans are not subprime loans. So low down payment loans are 30-year fixed rate loans where you know the borrower can repay the loan and they put, make some cash investment and you, um, 
and you, you verify things like the borrower's income and, that, and things like that. Low, um, subprime loans are ones where the mortgages, the, as you said, the payments go up dramatically in, in two years, and you never bother to verify the borrower's income and that they can repay the loan. And, you know, there's all these kinds of problems. So um, low-down payment loans have been made since the, since the 1960s, and in the last 20 years, 27 million people bought homes with, with less than 20% down. So... Um, so you're saying those are being lumped in the low down payment loans, which have had a long history of being good and stable, are being lumped in with subprime loans where you have had problems, and it's kind of right, right. You're killing the golden goose just because of a few bad eggs, you might say. You're right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so this is a problem. I mean, this is something. That yeah, really it needs is. To be dealt I mean, the, the, the rules are up for discussion now and, and comment, and um, I, th- I guess the, the um, I think the deadline for the comments is in June, so there should be a decision, I guess, in the fall, but um, this is, interestingly, um, probably the only issue I've seen in the housing market where basically everybody in the housing market thinks it's a bad idea. Yeah. Usually we're on one side and somebody else is on the other side of an issue. This one, we're all on the same side. So the the center would agree with the home builders and the realtors and uh, And all the other people that that 20% is just too high because it's shutting out too many people. It is, and, and, and again, the, their, their goal is to, re, the regulator's goal is to reduce risk, and what, um, resu- you know, his history has shown is you can cut out, this would cut out a lot of people without really significantly changing the risk of, of yes. you know, improving the risk. And well, that's it seems really to me it makes the whole risk worse. <laughs> if you're making the housing market worse because people can't qualify for mortgages and buy, you're going to make home values fall more which exacerbates the entire problem now. So it seems like it makes the problem worse, not better. Right. It's a good discussion to have, but hopefully it's, it, this is not the, the right answer. So hopefully we can get um, that In the subprime area, now there was a lot of that going on in the mid-2000s, but my impression is that really is not going on very much at all today. And, and they're, they're legislating away a problem that doesn't even exist at this point. Is that your impression as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we've been involved in... Um, Policy solutions to subprime loans for quite some time, and the, and you know they've they've really sort of evolved over time. So, the in the early or the late 90s and in early 2000s, a typical subprime loan may have been a fixed rate loan, but it was enormous fees, up to 18 percent fees on 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 a mortgage. So, um, and basically it just stripped people's equity out, and then it people they got talked into refinancing a few times and um, lost all their equity and then their homes. Um, in, in the latter part of the 2000s, as house prices got higher, it was harder to qualify people with those subprime 30-year fixed-rate loans, so that's when they moved to adjustable rate mortgages and all these other, it didn't verify income and all those other things. Um, so I, I fully expect that, I mean, there's always going to be a need for some sort of subprime credit, and I fully expect the market will reemerge. The goal would just be to have... Um, Fewer people need that kind of credit, and more people be able to get mainstream credit, which is really a lot better. It's better terms. It, it works better for them. They're more likely to keep their home. It, subprime is what you would call predatory lending, is that right? Or not all of it was predatory, but some of it was. Um, we used to think that subprime lending was sometimes okay and sometimes predatory. The the shape that pred- that subprime lending took in the latter part of the 2000s was all predatory. As people knew in advance, the lenders knew that they, people were not going to be able to make their, their payments, and therefore they were going to strip the equity and, and take the homes, in effect. Right. There was, there was no risk to them. They were, going to, they were going to get paid a lot of fees and be able to originate a lot of mortgages for people that um, 
probably if they had a better loan, um, might have been successful. And if they weren't, you know, the lender didn't really care. So does that still exist? Is there still predatory lending going on today in 2011? Well, I think one of the dangers of actually having this kind of a QRM rule in place would be that it's going to define what is a safe loan in terms that are so stringent that, especially the down payment side of it, that people who can't meet that down payment requirement are going to be forced to turn to a subprime lender, and we're going to end up, again, sort of back where we were because there'll be this other market that gets created for for people that can't qualify under the under really tough rules. And Almost like pay, a black market or something from mortgages. Yeah, sort of. They'll pay higher fees, like we saw, you know, and we'll, they'll pay, you know, they'll have bad products, and they'll be more likely to lose their home. And many times they're steered into those things, even if they could qualify for the better credit. So, so it almost has the opposite effect. What they're trying to do is make the housing market more safe and get good quality loans for more people, and the. It's, they it's make well it so tough that it has it's, the exact opposite effect. Yeah, is what you're it's saying. Well, well intentioned, but it's really flawed. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, overall, I mean, is your sense that some of these things are going to get resolved and we'll have a, a good set of rules going forward, or do you think this is going to kind of last a, a long time, this, this battle over uh, how to fix the housing market? I think that um, the, the rules for the qualified residential mortgage will get resolved um, by the fall or be issued by the fall, and um, um, I'm hopeful that with enough voices saying that, um, you know, giving the Fed and others advice on this, that they'll they'll make a good decision. Indeed. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ellen Schlomer. Uh, she's the Executive Vice President at the Center for Responsible Lending in Washington, D.C., talking about all these issues related to mortgages and uh, credit of all types. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. 
Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ellen Schlomer. Uh, She is the Executive Vice President at the Center for Responsible Lending in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the show, Ellen. Thank you. Uh, give people uh, your website and what kind of things they can find at your website. Sure. Um, our website is responsiblelending.org, all one word, responsible lending. Um, we also, you can also follow us on Facebook, Center for Responsible Lending, um, and on Twitter at CRL Online. Um, our website has um, all of our up-to-date research on different issues. It has policy recommendations and solutions that we have identified. It also has some good tools and resources that are tips for consumers, things to watch out for, interesting videos, learn more about different topics, and, um, and ways also to take action. So if there are um, efforts on the, on the state or federal level to, um, to tell policymakers, legislators or regulators, um, that we need to fix some problems, there's a way to do that as well. One issue that's been pretty hot lately is the whole uh, overdraft on checking account issues and the big fees that were being charged. What has changed, uh, and and what should people do to avoid big overdraft fees? Sure. This is um, the the number of overdraft fees that um, banks and credit unions collect every year has has gone up significantly. It's about, um, I think, our last estimate was it was $24 billion annually, and that had increased 35% from two years earlier. And just so you know, overdrafts are, again, are the, when, when a bank or credit union routinely covers charges to your checking account, even if you don't have the funds to it, um, they'll charge you $35 for that, for that service and, um, each time. And um, they make, as I said, for the $24 billion, they make a lot of money out of that way. About 51 million people um, have Pay you know pay overdraft fees every year, and about half of those pay five or more every year. So that it can cost a lot of money, and oftentimes if you get one over hit with one overdraft fee or make one mistake with your checking account, you get hit with a lot of fees, and and that's a big problem. So has there been some legislation to uh, change that, or what, there there's been some. Uh, limitation on how many overdraft fees they can hit you with now. Is that right? There's been a, there's been a couple moves, um, some by the federal regulators and actually some by the by the largest um, banks or a couple of the largest banks. So, federal regulators are um, are the FDIC in particular, who regulates the um, smaller banks, has um, told its institutions that if a if a if they're in a situation where a consumer has incurred many, I think it's six overdraft fees. Um, in a year, then the then the bank or credit the bank needs to contact that consumer and tell them that there may be some other options for them for for covering those overdrafts, like linking it to a credit card or a savings account, or even a line of credit, which is what a lot of you know people may be able to get as well, which would be significantly lower cost. Um, but but some of the more positive moves more recently have come from Citibank and Bank of America, both of whom no longer um, authorize. Um, 
or charge overdraft fees on debit card transactions. If you're going to overdraw your account with a debit card transaction, they just decline it and don't charge you for that. Um, and then also um, Citibank has also started um, what we call order, ordering transactions from smaller amount to lower amount, which, which has an effect of, of reducing the number of overdraft fees as well. Is this something you have to opt into uh, to allow them to do an overdraft, and if you don't opt in, then they'll, they're going to bounce it if, if you don't have the funds? Is that the way it works? Sure. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you're, you're right. I forgot that one, but the Federal Reserve um, has issued rules that said that if, if um, that you have that you have to contact consumers and, and they have to, you're not allowed to charge consumers an overdraft fee on a debit card transaction without their consent. So banks immediately um, launched these very aggressive programs, especially aimed towards people that were incurring a lot of overdraft fees, saying things like, and these are, I'm actually quoting from some of these things, um, your debit card may not work the same way even if you just made a deposit, or, um, you know, we need to hear from you to keep your account operating smoothly. So, you know, they sort of implied this, this real dire emergency if people did not opt into this coverage. What we've, we, we recently completed a survey, and we're going to be releasing some um, results of it shortly, but um, what we find is that um, many people who did opt into the coverage, and um, it's only about a third of the people who actually did opt into the coverage, um, but of those people, many of them did so f for reasons that were not true, that they were, they were confused about what was actually going to happen if they, did, if they didn't opt in. And almost half the people who opted in did in part just so the banks would stop you know, bombarding them with messages telling them they should opt in. So um, it's, it's sort of an example of sort of where there was a lot of misperception that, that led people to opt into a product that really doesn't help them very much. Yeah. Now, it's not exactly the same, but you've also written a lot about the whole uh, payday loan uh, issue. And what, what is changing there? The payday loans is where people are kind of borrowing against their, their paycheck uh, at very, very high interest rates. I think some states have put limitations on what level of interest rates can be charged, but give us an update on what's happening in the whole payday loan space now. Sure. So payday loans are, I think, probably the, one of the most expensive forms of credit that are out there. Um, you have to re they're typically for small dollar amounts, $300, for example, but um, you have to repay it within two weeks. Um, they're billed as short-term emergency credit, but what they really end up doing is trapping people in a cycle of getting one payday loan and then another and another. And the interest rates, as you mentioned, you said are very high. They're maybe Three to four hundred percent annual interest rate, effectively. So, um, I, the way I like to explain this to people, because not too many people get payday loans, actually, or a small, maybe five percent of the population. So, for everybody else to think about it, um, it, it, if you had a credit card that had a three hundred dollar balance on it, and you couldn't pay that off, or even let's say you couldn't even make the minimum, let's say the credit card company said you had to pay it all off at the end of the month, and you couldn't do that. Um, and so the credit card company would say, oh, that's okay. We'll just carry it over another month. And on that, 30, on that $300, we'll charge you $90 interest this month. Um, you would, everybody would be up in arms at that because that just feels rapacious. <laughs> so, yes. um, but that's what, in effect, a payday loan is. Um, and um, in state after state, there's about 17 states that have said payday lending, uh, payday lenders have to live by the interest rate rules that are set for other lenders. So um, just like consumer finance companies, maybe they may have a usury la a limit of 30% or 36%, and they say payday lenders have to live by that. In other states, there are um, payday lenders have gotten exemptions that allow them to charge higher interest rates, and they're taking full advantage of that. And in every state that, um, that they can, they're trying to push legislation allowing them 
to get that exemption. So you, you think, I mean, what they say, I guess, is if you lower the interest rates, uh, they, they won't be able to offer the service, and people who uh, you know, can't get by without doing these payday loans are not going to have any alternative and won't have the, the, the cash to live or something. What is your response to, to their view on that? Yeah, well, you know, I guess I don't see that it does anybody any favors to, to make a loan to them that they can't repay. Uh, all it does is lock them in debt and cause another another problem for them. So um, what what we have found in states like North Carolina, um, which which is where I live, where they where they outlawed payday lending a few years ago, um, is people found other sources of credit. Consumer finance companies stepped up and started started offering loans. People used more credit cards. They borrowed more money from friends. Again, they may not have had the cash themselves, but but they found another source. Um, so I think that there's the idea that payday, lend, payday loans are the only only way people can get emergency cash is is just a, a fallacy, and payday lenders um, play it up. Yeah. Not exactly the same, but somewhat similar to payday loans are what are called refund anticipation loans, or RALs, mm-hmm. uh, where the uh, various uh, tax preparation services like H&R Block and Jackson Hewitt and so on offer these loans. Um, is that something that people should always avoid, or do you, or do you think that's a, a good idea? What's happening in the in the RAL space these days? Yeah, uh, again, RALs are, are very expensive as well. I mean, now that tax season is over, people probably won't pay much attention to them until next year. Um, but there's usually always a better alternative than a RAL. Um, in, in many cases, you can get your taxes prepared for free at volunteer tax assistance sites that the IRS sponsors, um, and they're pretty much everywhere. Um, and and if you don't have to just pay that fee for one thing, that that helps you be able to, um, you know, to to get through tax season safely. And you know, now with online e-filing, you can get your tax refund in a couple of days. You know, so it's not like um, you need that route to keep you going for very long. So people should always investigate their other options there. So you think it's been abusive to have these RAL loans out there? Um, that's what some of the federal regulators and um, and most every consumer advocate I know says, and and it, it just financially, it just takes a lot of money from people to help them get their money a few days earlier. Yeah, and as you say, if you you almost have to file electronically today, and you get your refunds really quite quickly. Yeah, and one of the reasons people use um, you know go to tax preparers is especially if they're claiming the earned income tax credit. That's a pretty complex form and there's a lot of rules and and I understand why they go to tax preparers to get those done so um but then but the, then once the return is prepared the tax preparer says well you know you, you owe me $125 and then if you don't have it I'll just take it out of your refund and let's just get this loan and we can get it processed all right now and I'll collect my fee and so it sort of became a way to be able to pay that fee without having to fork up the cash but and that's where I think having the free income tax assistance is a is a much much better way to do it Another area uh, that the center works on is reverse uh, mortgages, where people who are 62 plus uh, can tap the equity of their home and pay off their existing debt and not have to pay it back until uh, they die or they leave the house one way or the other. Uh, is that an area you think is is growing, or there's been a lot of abuse in reverse mortgages as well? Um, it, it, I don't know that there's been a lot so far. I, we haven't studied it that much. AARP has done more research on that area than we have, um, but it certainly is an area that is ripe for abuse as more and more um, senior citizens sort of age out and, and are looking at what they should do with their properties. I think the most important thing for people to remember is it is a loan, it, and you do have to pay it back. Maybe you don't pay it back. Maybe your state pays it back, but um, 
but there are there are some real there there could be potential problems and um, there could be high fees associated with it, and I think the one of the best things to do would be um, to go to the HUD HUD Housing and Urban Department Housing and Urban Development website and um, look there to find out who are their certified counselors on reverse mortgages because I think they'll help you probably avoid the real problem mortgages. Don't don't go for the, the guys who advertise on TV. But you're saying there are legitimate reasons to get reverse mortgages. You just have to watch out for the fees and uh, you realize you're putting your home up. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, everyone, if you're well-informed and you understand what you're doing, you can pretty much make, you know, any financial decision you want. But, and we never will tell people what to do. I just think that there's some tricks and traps they have to be really careful of. And reverse mortgage, I mean, you know, it's... Um, it's, they're kind of confusing, and, and it, it's the rules aren't the rules of the road aren't as well defined as in regular mortgages. So I think um, it's an area that there are some dangers. What is wrong with responding to these ads you see on TV? Uh, you know, make it look so easy and so on. What is the the problem that people can get into if they follow up on that? Well, I think, as I said, I think that there are instances where there's a lot of fees that may be hidden, and 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 oftentimes also. Um, I mean, just recognize that these people are sales, they're salespeople. So, you, you know, you're going to call them and they're going to try to sell you the deal, whether or not it makes sense for you or not. It's like buying a used car. You know, you just got to, you just got to go with your eyes open. So, um, you got to make sure you understand the fees. You got to understand that you are going to pay the loan back and what that's going to mean for you in the future or your, or your family. Um, and oftentimes with, um, the, the groups that advertise, they also may try to sell you other financial instruments that you may not need. So if they try to, you know, pitch you on getting an annuity as well as this, I mean, it, 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 there's just, it kind of takes you down this path that, that you want to make sure you have your eyes wide open. And, and so the HUD counselors can help, be, help alert you to those things. Yeah. I've actually heard that the HUD counseling program has been cut out as part of the, the uh, budget deficit uh, Recently, that they had yeah, counseling. it's kind of unclear as to exactly what's getting cut out. There is, there was this appropriation that was taken out for the HUD counseling. Um, yes, and there's a lot of housing groups that are trying to figure out exactly what that means because HUD is also very active in foreclosure avoidance. Right, right. So um, there, there is, there is some money for HUD counseling somewhere else in the budget apparently, but it's really at this point people are still trying to figure out what. What what we lost as a result of that? <laughs> it was you know one of these last minute uh, midnight deals. Yeah, and that's, uh, yeah. I think it wasn't a wise decision, but um, and and there's definitely you know looking forward at hoping that 2012, if if there's a need for this kind of stuff, which I think there will be, that it can, the funding can be restored. But um, right now, I think a lot of the housing groups that are active in this are just trying to figure out what they can still do, given what money still you know still is there. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My uh, guest this hour is Ellen Schlomer. Uh, she is the Executive Vice President at the Center for Responsible Lending in Washington, D.C. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Intense and intelligent. Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, keeps you informed of the ideological, theological, and economic war being waged against the United States of America. Kevin Lehman's bold and brilliant style challenges your deepest held beliefs and provokes you to ask the hard questions, religious, scientific, political, or financial. Kevin is holding the establishment's feet to the fire with high-profile guests that include politicians, economists, theologians, and business titans. He'll demand truth over tradition and facts over fiction. Full of passion, wisdom, and wit, Kevin's transparent and no-nonsense style make Catch Kevin unscripted and uncensored. The go-to show for real insight on business, politics, social issues, and breaking news. It's time to get real, America. It's time to tackle the tough issues head on. Tune in to Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored. Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ellen Schlomer. Uh, she is the Executive Vice President at the Center for Responsible Lending in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the show, Ellen. Thanks so much. Uh, part of the Dodd-Frank uh, financial regulation, re-regulation bill last year uh, set up this Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, which is going to go live in about three months or so. What kind of a difference do you think that's going to make to have that uh, power concentrated in one place? Well, um, I think what it will primarily do is put a regulator in Washington that is focused solely on consumer protection. The same way there are regulators there now who are focused on bank safety and soundness. Um, before the CFPB, I'll use the acronym because it's shorter, um, was established, all of the consumer protection um, require, um responsibilities were placed with these regulators who are also responsible for bank safety and soundness. And when it came down to them deciding whether um, something a bank should be allowed to do something because it would help their bottom line or even if it hurt consumers, they typically tended to vote on the favor of the banks. So now you'll have one voice 
um, that says, here's what consumers really need, and we'll be um, actively working to, you know, be a source for a place where consumers can come with complaints and um, be gathering more data on some of the abuses out there. And so I think it's a, it's a really good sort of a, a move to, to balance the, the responsibilities. One area that they're going to be looking at is the whole area of debt settlement, where uh, people settle their debts for whatever, 50 cents of the dollar or something. There's been a lot of abuses in that area. Uh, what, maybe just briefly tell us what changes have made and what do you see going forward in the whole world of debt settlement? Sure. So in debt settlement, you can, tr- you can pay between you know, 15 25% of what your total amount that you owe in fees just to have to a debt settlement company with, necessarily, with not necessarily a guarantee that they're going to actually help settle any of your debt. And actually, um, to date, debt settlement companies, there's only about a 25%. This is, these are for-profit debt settlement firms, not credit counseling, for, non-profit credit counseling firms. Yes. Um, they only have, the for-profit firms have about a 25% success rate. So only one in four people that goes there actually has some debt discharged um, as a result of the fees they've paid. And other people just pay a lot of fees and get nothing for it. Um, the FTC, the um, Federal Trade Commission, recently issued a rule to telemarketers saying if you're a debt settlement company that contacts people by phone, you're not allowed to charge an upfront fee without settling some of the consumer's debt. Um, and that has effectively stopped some of, some of the really bad practices. It doesn't, however, prevent um, someone from advertising on TV or contacting you via text message or some other way to, um, to reach out to you to, um, to sign up with them to settle your debt. So if somebody has a lot of debt, uh, and they see these ads, you know, it sounds attractive to get it settled. What kind of advice would you give to consumers? I would have them first check out um, Consumer Credit Counseling Services, which is a national nonprofit credit counseling firm, and they have a lot of local affiliates, and I would check with them first. They're, again, they're nonprofit. They're in it for the service, not for the fees. And um, if they can't help you, they'll tell you, but um, I think they would, that's a better first step to take. If you can't afford a debt management plan, a DMP, at a credit counseling firm, um, is debt settlement a, a legitimate alternative, or should that people go straight to bankruptcy? Yikes. Um, well, Are there legitimate if, debt settlement companies out there? Is what I'm yeah, saying, I, I think if it was then it, it's worth considering. It's certainly, it's certainly an option. I mean, we, again, people... I think want to try to live up to their obligations, and this would be one way to to do that. You know, with things happen in lives, you don't know if you're you know if you lose your job, and a lot of people are facing that these days. You know, what kind of alternatives do you have? So, I think again, a, a reputable nonprofit debt um, credit counseling firm that could negotiate with creditors would be good. But the for-profit debt settlement is a, a, a dangerous a dangerous way to go. Make sure you know what you're going to get and and what fees you're going to pay before you sign any deal with them. Another area where consumers have had trouble is uh, car loans and predatory car loans. Uh, what, what is going on in that field, and, and what should people be careful about? Sure. So about 48 million people buy cars every year in the United States, and about 80% of those um, people finance them through the dealer. Um, and that's fine, but they may not be aware that when the, when the dealer arranges financing with you, they're not, like, taking their own money and financing the car for you. They're, they're getting the money from a bank, and, and they're serving as a broker. And um, they can, without telling you, um, increase the interest rate. Let's say, let's say the bank says you qualify for a 5% car loan. The, the car dealer can charge you 6% or 7% or 8% on that car loan. And um, 
and pocket some of the difference. And um, it's not disclosed to consumers. They may not be aware of it on average. We just did a report that said these, what they call dealer markups, um, can be, you know, about almost $1,700 on a new car and $1,200 on a used car. So that's a lot of money for people. And we actually estimate that over the life of, of the loans, consumers who get a car in a year will, I mean, on, across the United States, will pay $25 billion in ex, extra interest because of these hidden markups. So is there legislation going on? Or is there something being done to uh, minimize this predatory car lending? Um, well, some of the states are looking at, at some moves, um, and I think probably the, the best thing consumers should do is they should shop around and they should, they should go to a bank if they have a, and find out what kind of rate they could get there first because that would not include a markup. And then they can go to the dealer and compare deals. If they get a, if they get a similar deal from the dealer, and, and they want to finance it that way, that's fine, too. But I are, would, are there I, I, tricks that the dealers are playing that people, average people wouldn't be able to see that they're being overcharged? Um, well, it's just um, it, they just make, make you an offer for, a, for a, a car loan at a certain rate, and it's up to you to accept it or not. You don't have to take that deal. So if you want to, you know, they'll still sell you the car. They just won't make as much. They won't make money on the financing if you go to the bank and get the get. As I said, get a car loan through the bank. Um, the other, the other one, other um, sort of danger out there is what they call yo-yo scams, which is where you actually bring in a car, trade your car in for another one, and the dealer arranges the financing and um, calls you back a couple of days later and says, you know, and this mostly happens with used with used cars. Um, you know, we couldn't really do the loan at this interest rate that that I told you, but I can do it at a little higher interest rate. And by then, you know, you can't really back out of the deal because they've sold your, they've sold your trade in, so you're stuck with that car. So that's another thing good. to be aware of. Okay, well, it's been fascinating. We've really had a very good view of all the different things going on in the whole world of consumer lending. My guest this hour has been Ellen Schlomer. She's the Executive Vice President at the Center for Responsible Lending. Just give them your website one more time, Ellen. Great. ResponsibleLending.org. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Terrific. Thanks so much, Ellen, for being on the Money Answer Show. Uh, we really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jordan. And we'll be back again with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.